Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 121 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we discussed living in two technology worlds, that's Mac and Windows or iOS and Android. This time we wanted to talk about some really simple ways to improve your technology experience and perhaps make your life a little easier by having your computer do some work for you. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we'll be talking about some really simple automation that you can put to work in your practice. In our second segment, we'll take a look at password choices in the light of some recent studies and surveys. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first, let's get started on our main topic and uh, what we're calling really simple automation. A couple of weeks ago, we had done a podcast on whether or not we're turning control over to our technology to do certain things. We talked a lot about smart homes and the Internet of Things and stuff like that. And then last week, the Mac Power Users podcast did an episode on automation from a slightly different perspective, which we kind of liked. So we thought we'd put our own spin on the topic. Uh, Dennis, do you want to start by telling the audience how this is different from what we talked about recently about turning over control to our technology and what got you interested in the topic? Well, for me, the big difference is in in that we were talking about ways that other people and other services were kind of, you know, handling things that we might do ourselves and then and sort of taking advantage of that. And this I want to kind of want to look at ways that we can do some things, you know, both on our computers. And I think that's going to be the the main focus of what we talk about, where we kind of take control and try to automate things rather than just rely on services. And it's a little bit different, I think, than the podcast we did quite a while ago on the If This Then That service, which automates things on the internet. So I kind of want to focus on, you know, the computer in front of us and, and maybe our tablets and, and smartphones as well and ways we can do some automation. So what motivated me, Tom, was, as you said, the, the Mac Power users with David Sparks and Katie Floyd did a, a really good introduction to the ways you can use tools like Keyboard Maestro and Hazel in the Mac environment to do some auto, you know, some simple automation to accomplish some tasks of a variety of sorts where you can kind of have things happen and set simple triggers for that. And then almost on the same day, I, I got an email from our, our friend Buzz Bruggeman who uh, put together a program called Active Words, which allowed you kind of across programs to do simple commands and, and sort of snippets in a way that would trigger actions. And so it's because those two things happened at the same time, I thought this might be a good topic for a podcast. And I ran it by you, Tom. And to my surprise, you, you agreed that it would be a good topic. <laughs> well, I, I do agree it would be a good topic, but I think it's going to be interesting to see how we all fall down on top of this because once you set the topic, 
topic, I thought, yeah, that's a topic I'd really like to talk about and to talk about all the ways that I automate my use of technology. And then when I started to really think about it, I realized that I don't do a whole lot of automation. Then I started really thinking about the reasons why. And I don't know if now is the right time to talk about the negative, but I'd kind of like to introduce some challenges to automation. And then maybe we talk about ways to deal with those challenges. And I find that there's a couple of reasons why I don't automate a lot. There are some things that I automate and there are things that I like a lot. For example, I have grown to really appreciate the fact that both Android and iOS will automatically update my apps if I want them to. So now I can have them auto-update rather than me having to go in and choose which apps I want to update. I know a lot of people prefer the other way to update on their own. I like to just have the latest apps available to me. I appreciate that. I appreciate how uh, my podcast downloads load for me automatically so that when I wake up in the morning and I'm going to go out and walk the dogs or go work out, I have the, the latest podcasts that are available for me and that's an automatic thing that happens. But what I've noticed with that is that it's solving a specific problem that I have, something that I do all the time that I wish could be done in an easier way. And those are just two examples. There aren't a lot more examples of, of things that would work for me that I would actually use to automate. And I'll get into some of the reasons a little bit later, but I thought I would kind of toss it back over to you and say, is it the same with you? Is it different? How was automation in, in your daily use of technology? I sort of feel like it's declined in recent years. I used to do a lot more of it. And some of it, I think, is sort of hidden and things that we take for granted. So a lot of people have you know, different rules and outlook that act on email. You might have some other things. You know, I use these this choose forms function and outlook to generate sort of template email. Uh, so I'm not typing the, the same thing over and over. And, and there's some other things along those lines. And I think we'll go back in a minute and talk about some of the history of automation. But I think that sometimes things happen. You know, if you have an elaborate set of rules and outlook and then, you know, something happens and those get deleted, you got to start all over again with outlook. You have a tendency not to be as invested in creating those rules. Sometimes you just want to simplify a little bit so you can have an elaborate set of rules. And, and sometimes people do really elaborate bits of automation and, and it sort of gets, the whole system gets a little unwieldy. But I think the main thing is you're looking for something that happens often enough that it makes sense to automate it and it's simple enough to automate it that you don't mind taking the time. So there's you know that repetition and then some value in doing that with a relatively small investment of time with a tool that you're comfortable with. And that's why I think things like the Outlook rules and things like that are a good example for people because you live in email so much, things happen over and over again. You know, once you create a rule that works for you, it can be really helpful. So, but as you kind of move out from that, you got to get some kind of different tool. It feels a lot more like programming. And maybe you don't feel that it's repetitive enough or that you save enough time that you want to do that. So I, I think all those things start to get in the way. But from time to time, and lately I just get the nagging feeling that every day I'm doing some of the same things over and over again, and it seems like I should have the computer do more of that than me repeat that. So I'm sort of where you are, Tom, in that it seems like a great idea, but it's one of those things that you don't quite 
get around to. I think we should talk a little bit about the history of, of this. And, and so sort of people who've been involved in technology for a long time, I think we're sort of talking about the notion of macros, and that will be you know, what resonates with people. So, Tom, you want to talk a little bit about macros and maybe your experience, uh, although you're much younger than I am, but I think you had some experience in the world when macros were really important. Well, uh, this is going to be a real short conversation. I think you're exactly right. I am younger than you. But, you know, macros to me uh, sort of started with WordPerfect. And in fact, one of my colleagues here in Dallas, Mike Kennecke, is a guru in WordPerfect macros. I think he is still using WordPerfect and still using those macros. And my problem there is, is that that's when I was just getting started with technology. I didn't I really understand what macros were. I thought, yeah, they're not something that the average person is going to use. I have no idea what they were, and I never, ever wound up using them within WordPerfect. Then I look at look at them and using them in Word and trying to find ways to automate what I'm doing when I'm you know, creating a Word document, and it just seemed like something that was more complicated than I was interested in learning about. And so I have to say, I've never been a big macro user. I probably should be. We'll get into this in a second. It really shows why I'm sort of not an automator, is that I'd rather just plow in and do it and get it done rather than take the time to learn how to uh, work that particular piece of technology. I know that kind of goes against everything I've ever said about technology, and I may be the curmudgeon on this particular episode of the podcast, but my experience with macros has been actually very limited. I would guess that is a little bit different for you, Dennis. Well, and I think that to some extent that the macros go back a bit before you know mouse became quite as important as it did and so so that you could create a macro that would start at the beginning of the paragraph find the end of it and then do some operation on it and then you could elaborate on that so you say find the next paragraph select it copy it move it down three paragraphs and that was pretty amazing really powerful and useful and you would trigger that with a you know a simple combination of keystrokes uh you know maybe like a you know function key and then a number or a letter and you would you know take something and copy it and paste it somewhere else maybe in another document even you know so it was really helpful and then i think as we get started using the mouse a lot of those things kind of became a lot easier to you know drag and drop those sorts of things took the place of some of those macros and then you know i think the the person you're talking about and people like them created these really elaborate macros that would do really powerful things, create letterhead, create template letters, do simple document assembly, you know, all sorts of things like that. Well, you know, after macros, I guess if we're kind of speaking from a historical perspective, I would guess that the automation that I'm more familiar with is autocorrect in Word, which I think is incredibly helpful and can be even more helpful if you want it to be because you can actually edit the dictionary there and and have it do specific corrections that you want it to make. Again, it's not something I've ever taken the time to do. I just haven't ever thought about doing that. Rules and Outlook, you know, it's interesting. I've kind of had a love-hate relationship with because uh, the way that I look at email now, I prefer actually, I want to put 
eyes on that email before I do anything with it. And so uh, having an email go into a different folder um, sort of makes me think I'm going to forget about it. And I know a lot of people who make liberal use of rules in order to send email from specific clients into specific folders. And I think that's a tremendously helpful way to deal with rules and things like that. I, I have a different way of working these days, although I will say that in Gmail, I'm now using labels and I'm, I'm sending all of my sort of non-essential email into a separate folder that I just call later that I go through maybe once or twice a day and kind of clean it out of all the junk that uh, I, I want to get through. So that's a nice way to, to automate that. And, and that's kind of, those are kind of the ways that I grew up on automating things. And, and the thing is, is that we've sort of gone way past it. You know, the active words that you talk about has been around for a long time. And again, as a, a program that I've heard lots and lots of people rave about, it's just not something that I've been able to uh, to make work in the way that I do, that I practice in my profession. Dennis, I don't know how you feel about some of these tools, but I'll turn it over to you for your thoughts on that. Well, to go back to autocorrect, which I think is a great example, there's a feature that sort of would correct misspellings. And you can leverage that. So what you would do is say, I can type something I intentionally misspell, usually with, say, like a hashtag in front of something or you know some combination of letters. And then I would have the autocorrect correct it by typing in something else. And you can leverage that to say, oh, this is going to type in the text of a letter or a paragraph or a clause or, you know, that sort of thing, or insert a picture or insert a scan of a signature or uh, any number of those things. And so you use that feature in Word to leverage what you do and create this automation that people in the past used to use macros for. And so you start to say, well, that could be useful, but I do a lot of other things that are repetitive outside of Word, and I would like to have more things happen than that. And that's where I think you got to the programs like Active Words, which then would sort of simplify the creation of macros conceptually into something else and say, I do the same sort of thing where I type in uh, a group of letters that will trigger some action in active words. So it could you know, put some text in, it could do some other things. And you start to say, well, that could be really useful to me because then it gets past the limitation of things just happening in Word. And so in Katie and David's uh, podcast, where they talked about uh, what you can do on a Mac, they talked about a program called Keyboard Maestro, which is similar to Active Words in the Mac. People also talk about a program called Text Expander on the Mac, which then allows you to use, again, sort of a few characters to create, get expanded into clauses, paragraphs, that sort of thing. And they also talked about a program called Hazel, which allows certain things to you to set up almost like rules for folders so that things get moved or things happen, you know, once a file is put into a folder. So you can kind of create actions that will happen. And so there are tools out there, which I think is interesting, and they're in Windows and in the Mac environment. And I sort of think you can probably do some of these things now and more so in the future using voice with Siri and Android. And it's interesting to see the tools are out there, but it's sort of like the rare person who's moving to it, even though you know there's benefit. And, and in a funny way, Tom, I think as we were talking about the barriers to this, 
I think one of the things is that these programs actually cost money, and we're just so used to, to not paying money for software that if you say, here's something that I can do this automation and things with, and even if it's $29 or $49, I think these days we balk at that. I mean, do you have that sense as well? I have the sense that lawyers do that. I guess I'm in sort of a different camp. I don't mind paying 29, maybe 49. You know, get you get much beyond that, and I start to have problems with it. But uh, I don't mind. I've been, you know, with my iPad now for four years, buying 4.99 and 5.99 apps. So it has not been that big a deal for me to do that. I, I think what you talk about, all of the tools that they have sound like I could benefit from them. But you know, I'll give you an example. Text Expander. I have really wanted to use Text Expander um, on my iPad, now on my Mac. Want to be able to use those sorts of things. But I see a couple of barriers to that, at least for the way that I work. And one is that it requires you to work in Text Expander. So if you want to create and compose an email or compose a text message or compose a letter or something, you have to do it all within that program and then cut and paste it into Word or into your email or into your text message or whatever it is that you're going to be working with. I think another issue is, is is just the sheer power of it, the, the fact that you can create a snippet for just about anything. Just type in a few keystrokes and say, for example, D-D-A-T-E for today's date. And you just type that in and it automatically expands to whatever today's date happens to be. I think that's great, but you've got to remember all those snippets unless you've got them. You know, I think in Text Expander, you can, you can look at them and you can group them together and you can see what they look like. But again, that comes back to having to actually work within the app itself and not necessarily within the program that you are intending to use it for, which I think is, to me, an issue. It's something I would prefer to work within the program itself and not within the program that's doing the automation. Another program that illustrates the same problem for me is one that I I downloaded fairly soon after I got my Android phone, and it's an app called Automate It. And it's designed to automate tasks on your Android phone. And and I love the fact that it can do that. But the minute that I installed it, it started with a default set of automation tools that completely freaked me out because it started, you know, I would bring my phone away and it would immediately turn the speaker on if I was on the phone. If I happened to just move my phone away from my head, it turned the speaker on and then I'd move it back and it turned the speaker off. And it was doing all these things that I didn't expect it to do. And that had a really negative effect on me. And and it kind of comes back to the idea of you've got to configure these things. You've got to go in, learn how they work, learn what works for you and decide what makes sense for you, which is what I think is really, to me, it's a barrier. It's something that I would prefer not to have to do. And that's one of the things that prevents me from using these automation tools the way I'd like to use them. Well, and Tom, I think that's a big point here on automation is, is this whole start simple, find simple things to do, pick one or two tools, probably one that you're going to experiment with and identify something where it's either so simple that you get enjoyment and a feeling of accomplishment by doing something, or is it something that really does save you some time and effort? So there are some examples out there, and I, I think the podcast, the Mac Power Users podcast we talked about is, is good, because David Sparks especially uses a lot of this automation, you can hear some of the things he does it for. And, you know, not all of those are things I have any interest in, frankly, but I, I can sort of see the benefit of some of those things, and it gives me 
came my own ideas for doing things. So I think that even if you just sort of sit back for, you know, over the course of the next week and just say, hey, what are the things I just do over and over again that wouldn't it be great if I could automate that somehow? And then to say, well, I wonder if there's a way to do that. And then sort of pick the tools that might make sense for that. So probably for a lot of our listeners, the easiest thing would be to try some things in, in Word. Um, I think if you're in the Mac environment like I am, there's a, a built-in thing called Automator, which allows you to do to automate some processes, which I think could be really powerful if you learn about it. It's a little, you know, gets a little close to programming, but that's something that I'm interested in experimenting with, and it's it's free. I look at the other things, the, the keyboard maestro or active word sort of concept. That's interesting to me too, uh, although I haven't had a lot of success, you know, long-term success with that. And it's the other program called Hazel, which does the things on files that actually is kind of interesting to me because I do download you know, a fair amount of things for research and, and otherwise off the internet. And it's kind of nice to say if something is, say, an MP3 file or a PDF and it comes into a download folder and it automatically goes over to a, you know, pull into iTunes folder or a research folder, if it's a PDF, that could be helpful to me. So that's sort of the way I, I look at it is that, you know, identify things, start really simply, choose one tool to experiment with. And in my case, I, I think I'm going to experiment some on the Mac side with some of the personal things I do, because there are a number of things it seems like I do every single day. I don't know about you, Tom. Is this something you think we'll actually do? And do you have some ideas or is this something that we'll sort of be thinking about through the course of the year? Well, you know, I, I agree with you. I think the Mac has actually the most useful automation tools. I, I'm not aware of such a large number of automation tools for Windows PCs. You know, once you get beyond active words, there just aren't a lot of things out there that help to automate things the same way that tools like Hazel or, or Keyboard Maestro or Automator do for the Mac. Um, but let me, let me just say that I completely agree with that starting simple, and I will come back to um, a tool that we have mentioned here many times on the podcast. If you want to start simple, I think starting even more simply than, than Dennis has suggested is by using the, the website IFTTT um, for If This Then That, which um, we've mentioned several times on, on this podcast. It's a, it's a great web tool that helps to automate between different types of web services, whether it's Facebook and Evernote or your Dropbox account and Twitter. I use several services on IFTTT to make one thing do one thing for another. And I find that tremendously useful and easy to use. It's not confusing. It's very simple to set up what they call a recipe to make two ter services talk to each other. I am I'm constantly taking screenshots on my iPad of stuff that I want to, uh, to save, but I don't want to save it on my my iPad, I want to save it on in my Dropbox file, so I've got those pictures there, and it's very easy to set up a, a, a set up a recipe that scans my pictures on my iPad every so often and automatically downloads them into my Dropbox folder, which is a, a really nifty tool. So that's my recommendation for starting simple. I, I think just find a tool like this, find a few recipes that make 
sense to you. I think automation really has nowhere to go but up. I hope that there's a way to simplify it, to make it so it's not. I mean, I think it's the, the what makes it complicated is its power. It's what I've always said about Microsoft Word is that Microsoft Word's a great tool, but it's complicated to use. And we never use more than about 10 or 20 percent of the features that it has. I, I think these automation tools are the same and, and, and maybe it just deserves some time for us to uh, to get in and learn how to use them and, and maybe try to make use of maybe just a small percentage of the features that they have to find that usefulness for us. Yeah, I, I agree, Tom. And I, I think it's just one of these things as we start to look at the technology we have, how powerful it is, how big a role it plays in our lives and how we can kind of make better use of it. It's, I think, looking for ways to kind of go back and and say, what are we doing that the computer can do better for us? And, you know, this repetitive is simple, that sort of thing. And let's offload some of that onto the computer. And to me, this seems like this is a good year where I've just thought about it more and more. If I can accomplish some of this this year with technology, I think this will be a, a good technology year for me. Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. Tom suggested that we talk about a recent study on passwords in this segment, but then wondered whether we've talked enough about passwords lately. My response was that we simply can't talk about password selection and other password issues often enough at a time when passwords have become even more important and at the same time even more vulnerable than ever. It's surprising how lax many people are on password usage and selection. Tom, what are your latest thoughts on passwords? Well, they're not necessarily my thoughts. They're the thoughts of a a survey that took place in the past couple of weeks by a company called Dashlane. They have a a password manager similar to LastPass and 1Password. And I learned about it on the great Security Now podcast that uh, Steve Gibson does on the Twit Network. What was interesting is they, they took a look at the top 100 online retailers to understand what their password security was. And, and I think that, that as far as I'm concerned, the results were extremely surprising. For example, 55% of the top 100, so I guess 55, still accept really weak passwords like password and 123456. Um, some of them actually even accept passwords of two or three characters long, which are, I think, beyond unsafe and insecure. Uh, Over 50% of the companies will not lock you out after a certain time trying to enter the wrong password, which what that means is, is that uh, a hacker can keep pounding away trying to get to your password until they get it right. 
And the, the other thing that I thought was interesting is the lack of what I would call password strength meters. Uh, I really like the sites that tell you how strong your password is. I have found that uh, if it tells me it's it's not very strong, I have gone back to try to make it stronger. And, and I think that kind of has a has an effect on people. Well, 93% of the sites, the, the top 100, don't have that type of password strength meter, which I think is a weakness. I think that these retailers are becoming enablers, frankly. I think they're letting people like us maintain uh, lazy, insecure password habits. Uh, If they were, I think, more protective of our data, maybe we would take it more seriously too. I posted about this on my blog. I I talk about it a lot, and I'm going to be talking about it more on the blog, about the idea of using a password manager and how, at least for the time being, until we can find a better way of doing passwords, using a password manager is really the way to make sure that we create complex different passwords for all the sites that we use. And I still get lots of glazed eyes and rolling eyes and people thinking, ah, it's just too hard to remember all those passwords. I really don't know how to want to use a password manager like this. I think it's going to be a really still an ongoing struggle, not just for lawyers, but really for anybody. Dennis, what are your thoughts? These developments still surprise me because I think we're in a period of transition on passwords, you know, to multi-factor, to biometrics, and and maybe some other approaches. But I just, given the vulnerabilities out there, I'm just I'm just shocked a lot of times of the passwords people are using. And uh, I think the strength meter is great. I also think if you've sort of developed your own habits on strong passwords, you can still be surprised out there or you'll go to sites or where they won't allow you to use symbols or, you know, other things. So, so it sort of forces you into a weaker password than, than you're comfortable with. Um, there are issues around the security questions that you get asked because sometimes people can either find or guess the answers to those. And then there's the question whether you need to, you know, give fake answers to those. And, and I think the big development that I really want to caution people about and what really surprises me now, or, and sort of the one password behavior you want to get moved away from, is using the same password in multiple places. And, you know, in some, some things that might not be a big deal uh, because you don't have financial or other things there. But it's, it's a big problem. And to say, if you're using the same password across multiple big platforms, social media, banking, that sort of thing, you're just asking for trouble because once the password is found, that's the first thing that's going to be tried you know, uh, across what you're doing. And you can really open up, you know, you give people the keys to the kingdom by using uh, the same password in multiple places. So if there's one password behavior you really want to change this year, it's that. And try to, especially in, in accounts and the main things you're using, get those, if they're not already, onto different passwords and then gradually move away from that default password that you've probably been using all over the place for, for years and, and try to get something different. All of which, Tom, as you said, kind of leads you into the world of password managers until we get to the multi-factor biometrics becoming more prevalent. I think so, too. And I'm a big fan of LastPass. I think I've mentioned it before on the podcast. And the latest version of LastPass makes it so simple to use so that now when you get to a website that has a a place for a username and a password, you don't even have to open up the app itself, the extension in your browser. You can actually click inside the blank for the password and it will generate a password for you automatically there. It's just so simple and easy to use that um, when I try to talk to people about it, it sort of surprises me that they just don't want 
want to be bothered with it and, and have to deal with it. And I think that's a general overall issue with passwords in general. I, I hate to say it, I find that this happens a lot in, in my line of work, that sometimes people wind up not actually doing anything about something until it becomes a problem for them, until it, there's an issue that, that occurs. And, uh, and I suspect that that'll be the problem here too. Now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So I am a huge fan of uh, wallpapers, whether it's for my computer desktop, whether it's for my phone, whatever it happens to be, I, I like to have a nice view that I can look at. And I've um, been looking for something interesting for my Android phone, and I think I found it. It's a, by a, a guy named Musee, M-U-Z-E-I, I guess that's how you pronounce it. And he created the framework for some live wallpapers that allows you to plug into, he, he initially created it so that it will show a different piece of artwork each day. The Mona Lisa, the Sunday in the Park with George, those type of, on the island of La Grande Jatte, really nice artwork that changes every single day. You don't have to change it yourself. I really like the idea of, of that sort of rotating live wallpaper. Well, a lot of other developers have plugged into that. They're using the framework to actually allow you to plug into other sources. So you can plug into a Flickr account. You can f- plug into Bing's travel picture of the day, National Geographic's picture of the day. Uh, you can look at NASA has a picture of the day that they use as well. And you can plug into a number of different picture sources and see pictures that people are taking all over the world, rotating on your phone every couple of minutes if you want to. You can set it up for five minutes all the way up to rotating once a day or or even longer than that. Um, It's a great way to set up some interesting new wallpaper for your Android phone. Just go to Google Play Store and type in Musee, M-U-Z-E-I, and there's probably about 10 or 15 different apps, but you need to make sure you get the basic Musee framework before you can download the others. Dennis? Cool. I talk about podcasts with people so often, I think I've broken down the resistance of a few people. And so and a few people recently have asked me for suggestions on finding new podcasts or finding podcasts to get started with. And I'm a little bit iTunes-centric, but I use this as the example. And so to give a number of the suggestions I've given to people. And so this sort of goes back to the early days of blogging or even the web, which is with podcasts, I just think you want to to look for things that you're really interested in to give you a sense of how a podcast might work for you. So that might be your favorite TV show. There's a a number of podcasts through this After Buzz TV network that will talk about episodes of shows and do a podcast about them right after the shows. So that could be something that interests you. You can do a search in iTunes by topic and see what the popular things are. I love to do a search for authors while I'm reading or after I've finished reading a book so I can hear the author. If there's interviews or podcasts with the authors, hear them talk about the book and learn more. There may be authors, speakers, other you know business people you're interested in. Doing a search in iTunes just on the names of those people can turn up some interesting podcasts. And you can either grab an episode or if you subscribe to that podcast series for a while to see if there's other interesting things in there. So just a couple ideas that I've shared with people that they've seemed to like uh, recently on finding new podcasts. 
So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, is available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site. You can get to archives of all our previous podcasts in both places as well. If you have a question you want answered or a topic for an upcoming podcast, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet at tkmreport. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by rating this podcast or writing a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.